Welcome back to another episode of Sharing Knowledge Series. I'm Kevin Vondro, Chief Lending Officer at West Hill Bank, and your host. Today we'll be discussing one of my favorite topics, food. We'll examine how the economic changes that followed the pandemic have impacted food service and agribusiness. Please join us for this episode. So today we're gonna to talk about a very important topic to me, and that's food. And we really wanna focus on how the pandemic has impacted the food service area, but also the agribusiness industry. And we have two great guests with us today. The first one is Kristen Hensley, who's the owner of Yellow House Cheese. So Kristen, tell us about your company and what do you do? Thanks, Kevin. I'm Kristen Hensley. I am an owner, cheesemaker, and operator at Yellow House Cheese. Um, I partner with my husband, Kevin, and our two daughters. We are a family farm. I handcraft artisan cheeses. We also raise meats on our farm. So we do beef, pork, lamb, chicken. We do eggs as well as meat, chickens, and raise Thanksgiving turkeys. Um, we've been doing this for about 10 years. I have a degree from The Ohio State University in Agricultural Communications and Animal Science. Um, Kevin teaches off farm. He is a sixth grade science teacher and Yellow House Cheese is just uh, set up originally to be a farmer's market um, kind of business and then we've switched since the pandemic to do direct farm to table grocery delivery. Well thank you for joining us. Really excited to hear how the how the pandemic has affected you from the agribusiness side but then after hearing all that I'm actually starting to get hungry so excited to hear more about your, your business. And our, our next guest is Douglas Katz who is the owner of Zug Chimmy in Amba. Douglas, welcome and, and thank you for joining us here today. So tell us a little bit more about, there's three different restaurants you own and I know there's a lot more to your resume. So tell us a little bit more about yourself. Sure. Well, thanks for having me. Um, so I own Zug, as you said, it's a Middle Eastern restaurant in Cleveland Heights. Uh, and we're about to launch our brick and mortar restaurant called Amba, uh, which is an Indian fusion concept, which we're opening in Ohio City. And we're searching for a spot for Chimmy, which we ran during the pandemic uh, as, a, as a ghost kitchen, which I'll, I could tell you more about, but uh, we're searching for that and hopefully we'll do that this year as well. But uh, I am a chef and I'm a chef entrepreneur and restaurant owner. Uh, I love uh, food and I've you know, really had a career since I was a child in, in the food business. But uh, I had a restaurant called Fire, which was at Shaker Square in Cleveland uh, for the last 20 years. And due to the pandemic, we did have to shut that down. It was really a higher-end uh, restaurant that just really wouldn't work during this time. Uh, but we had such passions for other concepts. And in 2019, I opened a restaurant called Zug, which was the one uh, that we ran for about five months before the pandemic. Uh, but we sort of pivoted and, and decided to do that as a uh, takeout and delivery model during the pandemic. I'm also the chef uh, partner at the Cleveland Museum of Art and uh, getting back to work even this month uh, after you know, the, the last two years. So, Thank you for joining us today. And, and the pandemic has is, is affected a lot of industries, but probably the food industry more than, than others. So really want to hear your perspective on that. So Kristen, we'll, we'll start with you. And how's it affected you from an agribusiness standpoint? So really, we have always been selling directly to customers, whether that's you know, individual customers serving their family's food at a farmer's market, or if we were selling directly to restaurants and butcher shops, you know, that's how we started out was just typical farm to, to table that way through markets and restaurants. Uh, 
when the pandemic hit, we really had to make our own decision of what was safest for us and for our customers. Um, so over a weekend's time, we decided instead of going to farmer's markets that we were gonna do home delivery or pickup options. And that's really been profitable for our business. Um, we've won back a lot of time which is really important to us. We're just a family farm, we don't have employees. So doing our business pivot really saved us a lot on time, labor and effort, um, and, and has boosted our profitability. So that's kind of what we did. Um, unfortunately, some of our best favorite restaurant customers, you know, didn't or did close down and didn't reopen. So we really had to change um, what we were doing on our end to get where we needed to be. So as things starting to open up, do you see yourself continuing down the that the new path that you your business has, has started? Or I think so. I mean, customers are really receptive to ordering groceries online, which to me, like pre-pandemic, I would have just thought it was ridiculous. Like you see people personal shopping at a grocery store. I just, I just didn't think that would be a thing. But now with food delivery services, like meal kits getting delivered to your house, customers are really into it. You know, I've they don't really like going to a farmer's market and having to hunt, peck, and find what may or may not even be available. Um, our online model, they can you know, see what we have available for the week, meal plan from that, order in your pajamas, and pick it up on Saturday and it's there. So our customers like love it. You know, It's easy, it's predictable, they know what's there, they know what time they have to pick it up. Um, it's really working for us and I would never go back to a market. And that's great because e-commerce is typically you know, like, is, is the larger businesses that are, are benefiting from it. And it's well, great to hear smaller and companies how you like even yours. Like how we spun it even from a small farm, it still kind of blows my mind yeah. that, that it works. Yeah. So I'm really proud that we were able to well, do well, it. They always say what uh, necessity is a mother invention. So, so Douglas, what are some innovative ways or ideas that you've had to come up with uh, due to the pandemic? We uh, had just opened my restaurant, Zug, which we were really excited about. Uh, we were five months uh, strong and the pandemic hit and we knew we were not going to shut that restaurant down. I had another restaurant fire that we decided to shut down because it was just the, the wrong model for this time. But we really felt that Zug was fit for takeout and delivery. And it was something that we dabbled in. We focused more on in-person dining, but the takeout was uh, you know, popular with our guests and we thought we could really do that exclusively. And so we added delivery mainly because our platform, our, our point of sale platform allowed us to pivot really quickly. We, we used a platform that uh, worked really quickly, introduced it to us and said, why don't you guys use this in this way? We tried it, it was great. And the, so we implemented that the next week after the pandemic really hit in March. Uh, we also uh, really worked hard on our social media campaigns and taught the guests really what we were going to transition into. And, we had really fun videos that I would participate in and I would show people, uh, you know, me as a delivery guy delivering their food to their front door or we would show them packing all of the bags and, you know, how they would pick up at the restaurant because it was really different, you know, than what people would think of. And we wanted to give that hospitality feel and that fun feel and that was what we were about as an experience. So it really worked for us. Uh, from there, we had some other great ideas of restaurants we wanted to launch. We really weren't so busy that we couldn't put some time into this. And I had a catering commissary that I had to shut down because of the pandemic as well. So we used that kitchen as almost an incubator kitchen. And we launched uh, two ghost kitchens. Ghost kitchens were really 
uh, restaurants that you'd pull into, you know, you'd pull your car into the parking lot and you'd uh, walk to the building and we would bring your food out as a takeout. Uh, and we delivered from there as well. So we launched uh, Amba, which was an Indian fusion concept, and we launched Chimmy, which was a South American concept. And the pandemic really gave us the opportunity to explore these menus, see what worked, see what people wanted to order. We would, again, focus on social media and every day we would you know, focus on a dish that we served and really just allowed us to survive during this period. Uh, my partnership at the Art Museum was sort of shut down during this time, so it kept me busy uh, with the three restaurants that we had. Well, the concept of ghost kitchens are, are, is new to me and, and, and fascinating. And I, I guess as you look into the future, is that something you're going to continue to develop and, and promote as, as far as, a, as you look at different lines? So for us, it was more of an incubator. We okay. really uh, pride ourselves on the hospitality that we provided. My restaurant, uh, Fire, over 20 years, it was about the experience. You'd come in and you'd enjoy the wine service. You'd enjoy the service that you got from your server. Uh, I was walking around the dining room introducing you to maybe the farm food that we bought sure. uh, from local farmers and the cheese plates and you know all the different things that we did. And so we really felt that our goal was to get back to the in-person dining and to yeah. create this fun experience for the guest. The ghost kitchen for us was more of a uh, utilization of this catering commissary that I had. I think it is a really great business opportunity for people to run a unique business that really was successful for us during that time. But for us, we are excited to get back to mm -hmm. serving people in person and giving them that really fun experience that they can have with all of us you know, in the restaurant. But we do know that we have that uh, to go back to if we ever need to. Yeah, so, so as you prepare, as things start slowing down, and, and you know, like it looks like things are going to get back a little bit more to normal. Typically, does your takeout ratio go down significantly versus you know, like people coming in to dine? Or, or, or is it, I mean, is it still going to have a steady flow? So for us, uh, we want it to go down uh, as fast as possible and as much as possible because we want to focus on the in-person dining experience. We want to uh, serve you cocktails and uh, the menu. And, and, and when we have too much focus on takeout, the kitchen can only handle so much uh, in-person on plates and so much bagged food takeout. So we really have two businesses running simultaneously. So our goal really is to get back to that normalcy. Just from a convenience standpoint in, in economy. But there is no question that you could run both and if you had enough people and if you wanted to do both, you probably could do that, but you may need more space and you need to create a specific takeout sort of delivery room or something to make that happen. Well, another um, challenge that a lot of businesses have been really struggling with is supply chain issues. I'm curious to see how that impacted both of your or businesses, I guess, from that standpoint. So Kristen? Yeah, supply chain for us was a little bit tricky because we ran out of butcher dates. Like butchers all of a sudden were packed and we're somebody who sends thousands of dollars, you know, tens of thousands of dollars spent in butchering a year, and we were getting clothes out of our dates. So that was our biggest thing. We couldn't get animals, you know, we couldn't get animals harvested. So I didn't have meat to sell. I had animals there that had no, no angle. So it was, a, it was really frustrating. We scrambled a lot. I did a lot of begging um, just to get what I needed to get. Um, that was our biggest, biggest frustration, but it's, it's known in, in just not our area at our state and our nation that we don't have enough processors. 
So that's something then now, like if you would have asked me 10 years ago, hey, do you think you'd ever open up your, your own butcher plant? Like, absolutely not. But is it now in like our five-year plan? It's a possibility because I can't keep being, you know, held back from other people's. And is that because more people are, are harvesting their own meat themselves because of concerns with I what think, happened with the pandemic? I think it just became that whole pandemic issue of you weren't sure if you were going to be able to. And like every homesteader slash backyard enthusiast all of a sudden was like, oh, well, I got to get a pig and I got to get a cow. And I got like, so those people just filled up my spots and it was frustrating. And then as people were, were, running to the grocery stores and, and taking a lot of products from the shelves there. Did you see a big impact on your business too? As a, as a we did. We up? had a lot of new interest in our business. Um, we had a lot of pandemic only customers who were like the only, you know, the big scare who came in and didn't either this model didn't fit what they needed or they found something else. But because we started at farmer's market, I had captured all of my customers already. So that was really what made us successful in making this transition is I already had a customer base. I wasn't starting from zero. So they followed us. They've always been loyal. They knew our products were great and they've continued. Um, they've told their friends, families, neighbors, and that's how we've grown. What about inflation? How's that impacted you from a supplier of, of It is so products? hard. Last year's feed costs were 30% higher. Um, obviously, feed is you know a commodity-driven. I'm not in charge. You're not in charge. Also, based on the weather, um, and we just have to absorb that. There's no bargaining. There's no, can I not? Like animals have to feed, so it's tricky to have to pass those feed costs along down the you know down to your customer. But at the same time, like it's not my fault, you know. So I'm very open and honest with our customers when prices go up. I explain the situation. They're, they're usually really on board and understand, you know, my challenges and are willing to be flexible with us. Now, Douglas, I'm sure you, you're feeling supply chain issues, maybe some similar to Kristen, but, but different. Maybe tell us a little about that and how it impacts your business. Definitely. We, we were impacted uh, in a major way um, with supply chain issues. But what I would say is we were much more flexible uh, and we were much smaller. So we, uh, our volumes went way down. And so we did not uh, have to order as much food. Um, and we had some supplies uh, that we could utilize. We also were doing takeout and delivery only, so we could change our menu uh, to accommodate more of the home style uh, dining and eating that wasn't as noticeable. Whereas if we were open as a uh, dine-in restaurant only, we would have had to take certain things off the menu. Uh, the Products, you know, like even for, uh, say, a local farmer who had uh, maybe strawberries uh, for two weeks or tomatoes for three weeks, we were able to offer those as specials through our social media. And people, it actually drove business in a better way for us. Whereas if we would have had a consistent menu for the last two years, it would have been harder to attract people and think of ways to get people in the door. The things that I noticed earliest were, you know, so lamb pricing, for instance, we have a, a braised lamb dish on our menu, uh, and all of a sudden that should doubled. Uh, chicken doubled. Uh, so we really had to make as many calls as we could. We actually transitioned to some local farmers that had more chicken and more lamb that we weren't using before because we just couldn't afford that product. But at this point, it was actually cheaper than um, ordering some of the products that we had. Uh, currently, we're noticing more of the inflationary issues than we did before, 
uh, it didn't really hit us, uh, you know, really as much until this year. And when you run into inflation, how, how easy is that to pass on to customers or how often can you pass on to customers that they're willing to accept that? So I'm going to give you just a, a background. So Fire was a much higher end restaurant. It was a white tablecloth restaurant, uh, wine focused, you know, a dining experience where our prices were uh, probably double what we are uh, selling products for now. Uh, this menu is a shareable plates menu where everything is low priced and so it's much harder to accommodate that inflationary period, you know, that, that inflationary pricing, uh, because people look at the bill at the end and they notice how much more that is. They don't look at maybe $2 in this or $3 in this, in these small plate dishes. So it's really impacting us and, and we're really crossing our fingers and hoping that we can do it as minimally as possible. And we're also hoping that it is a temporary inflation. Uh, otherwise we become that fine dining restaurant that we didn't intend to be uh, when the pandemic hit, so. You know, Chris, I, I wanna go back to you and I just thought of something um, as we're talking about inflation. And probably one of the challenges you you face is really the, the fallacy around you're gonna be that much more expensive than going to the local grocery store. I didn't, you wanna comment on that? Yeah, so I think people have misconceptions from buying from a farmer directly. I think they think it's either gonna be really cheap or really expensive when actually there's a really great middle ground. Um, we're really fortunate that Part of our buying from Yellow House is also the education of what goes into their product. I try to you know, just be on social media explaining what we do. There is no hidden, crazy, creepy farmer things going on in the background. Like I show you what it's like from chickens from day one to end of life on how that gets to your table. It's really important for me to educate um, people that way. So to me, that has a value. Um, and during the pandemic, when you know meat is not on the shelves, and I'm still offering what I've always offered at the prices I've always offered them at because that's what's fair to me and fair to the customer. Well, now those are the same as the grocery store. You know, so then I have to reevaluate as a business owner, like is what I'm doing more valuable than the grocery store? I think so. So did I increase my prices? Yes. But did I take advantage of anyone and like double up because it's crazy pandemic time? No, I didn't do that because that's not fair to anyone. And really every relationship I have with a customer is that. It's a relationship. It's a back and forth. Um, so it, it was challenging during the pandemic, but I think what we do is fair. I would add to that too, that as a chef, there's no one I respect more than the farmers. And to see how hard a farmer works, like we, we go, we've actually been to Kristen's farm and to see the process and see what happens. You take for granted when you're at the store and you look at the cheese case and you see 50 million cheeses that you could choose from. And you go to this farm and you see the hard work that she's doing by herself because her husband's doing all the other things. And you just, there's not enough money to pay these people. And so to think that the pandemic allowed them to raise their prices, it's still not enough. But, you know, and we try to do as much as we can as a restaurant to support that. But of course, you know, like inflation, things like that, the guest, you, you really have to be concerned with what the guest will pay. No. Hey, well, you, you touched on another topic, Douglas, that I was going to go is the importance of, of buying local, local ingredients and maybe expand on that. I know you two definitely have a, a great relationship and have been you know, like business partners uh, in, in the past and, and still currently. I mean, how important is that to your business? So it's really important. It has been uh, historically. And to be honest, uh, you know, a, a I, at my old restaurant, we had a tandoor oven, an Indian clay oven, and we would roast our meats and fish over wood. And even the wood 
uh, it really was my first entree into local uh, purchasing. And I would buy our firewood from the farmer's market outside our, our front door. And to know the relationships that you're creating when you do this, uh, it really teaches you what community is about. And to me, that is, you know, when I opened my restaurant 20 years ago at Shaker Square at Fire, I was a young chef and I thought, to be a great chef, you have to know how to control your costs. You have to know how to control all your financials. And uh, that was really what was most important. And I had to make sure my employees were there on time. But you were more of the you know, really strict boss. And that's what I felt was the, most, the best way to run my restaurant. What I learned really quickly was you have to be a humane boss. You have to be someone who connects with the community. You have to connect with your customers. We were lucky to have a farmer's market right outside our front door. Every relationship I created at that market meant so much to me, but because it meant a lot to me, when I would bring that product into our kitchen and I would show my chefs and show the, the servers and show the guests all of these things we were doing, it meant so much to them as well. And it made them feel connected to something that was new and, and interesting. And, and that's really what community is about. And I would never give that up. And so I try and buy as much local as I can. And, and Kristen and I have a great relationship because I love just saying hello to her when I can go to the farmer's market. But I love anytime I'm cutting into the cheese that she makes or, you know, eating it at home, maybe too much of it. You know, I'm thinking of what she does and, and all of that hard work. And it, it rubs off on our employees and it rubs off on our guests. And it makes me a better boss, I think, and a better community uh, member, really. No. And, and you can explain more about your food that you're, that you're providing uh, your, your customers. Yes. Yeah, so uh, really interestingly, uh, the concepts I have now are much more focused on introducing the uh, public to new sort of uh, dishes. And uh, I would tell you that my inspiration comes from the tandoor oven that I had at fire. It's an Indian clay oven. We didn't use that Indian clay oven as a, as a piece of equipment to make Indian food, but I had a passion for that. And I met a, a really good friend of mine was from India who really taught me how to make Indian dishes. And so uh, when we had to close fire, we really, I thought of all of these uh, passions that I had for this cuisine. I also thought we're not able to travel. We're not able to see these other parts of the world. I'm so passionate about uh, learning about new, you know, different foods. And so I was able to use that passion to create new concepts. So one was Zug, which was Middle Eastern. Uh, we were lucky enough to open that pre or before the pandemic, and we went to Israel and experienced eight restaurants a day for uh, about a week and a half and brought that back and tested food for about six months, eight months, and really uh, came up with the concept we wanted to create at Zug. And so that's... Uh, the environment, all, it's all about having fun in, in the uh, dining room. So it's all about the music and it's all about the, the decor in the, in the restaurant. And we wanted to make it really feel like you were in this Middle Eastern uh, space in this cosmopolitan, you know, Tel Aviv is really the backdrop of what this is. And it's a shareable plates menu. So you order little plates of food. There's Mijadra rice, which is uh, rice with uh, crispy onions and it has uh, lentils in it and rice and uh, we have a great sautéed shrimp with garlic and chilies, and we have a uh, great lamb dish, braised lamb dish with sweet potatoes and ricotta, and all different things that you can eat together, and so many of them. The hummus we have is just amazing. We have different toppings. Uh, but the idea is share your food, have this really fun, unique food experience, and be in an atmosphere that is just over-the-top fun. And so that was the first one we launched. Amba will be more Indian fusion, and we'll... Uh, 
again, from the tandoor oven, I've really uh, played with all of these different Indian dishes. But it's our take on these things. I don't want, you know, I have two goals here. One is to teach people about these new unique foods in Northeast Ohio uh, that are available and, and really give them our sort of our take on what Indian food is, our take on Middle Eastern. But it's not to say that I know how to make traditional Indian or traditional Middle Eastern or even traditional uh, South American food. It's that I want to introduce this to people. And to be honest, when you do that, you get a much more diverse clientele. You get a more diverse employee base. And I feel that it's so much more fun to be with all of these different people in our community. And you're really opening up that experience to everyone. Yeah. Kristen, maybe elaborate more on, on what Douglas was talking about. Like, I know he brought his team down more as a field trip just to get out and, and, and you know, like enjoy themselves. And then it really developed into this relationship and really understanding about the products that, that you provide. Maybe tell other restaurant owners the importance of them going out and, and, and meeting. It comes back to community. And Kevin says it all the time. You know, my, my Kevin and I say, like, we love sharing our farm with you. And whether that's a restaurant owner or someone grilling a steak in their backyard, like, can, we need to connect people with their food so much now. Like, people go to the grocery store and assume that's where the food comes from. You know, like, we're so many generations removed from the farm. It's Kevin and I's job at Yellow House to bring people back to where that started and why we do what we do. And we don't use buzzwords. We don't use fear tactics. We're really just honest and authentic with who we are and what we raise and why we raise it the way we do. Um, it's important for the industry to come down and see it because they don't always know. But it's also important for me as a, rest or as a farmer to know a restaurant can't always afford to put my local things on a menu. But we can work together on specials or, you know, one dish. Or if I have, you know, there's been times where I have a bunch of lamb shanks left over because I can't move enough. Well, then now I have enough to offer to a restaurant. You know, I can't ask a restaurant on my small scale to be like, well, I have 40 lamb shanks. Will that work? Like, that doesn't work. You know, so, but because we have these relationships and we've figured that out, we know how to work to together now. So, like, when I have a back pile of pork chops, I can't be like, dude, can you run a pork chop special? Like, yeah, we can make that work for two weekends. And, you know, I'm happy, they're happy, we get to cross promote. Like, there's in it, you know, something in it for all of us. Um, that's, I think, the most important par part of being a farmer, especially if you're, like, wanting to get into the market now or, you know, in the industry. Like, you have to figure out where you fit and figure out how to make those relationships. You can't just have a farm and be like, okay, now I have all the stuff, where's it gonna go? Like, it, it's not easy. And I would say, too, over the years, we have to practice that relationship and understand each other and build that. It's not something that as a chef I can just call up my supplier and think that I'm going to learn something from. So we've had so much experience doing that that you realize what is important to the, uh, the farmer. Also, I learn you know, how to tell the farmer, you know, this is what you really have to do in order to communicate uh, to us so that we will buy from you. You know, call us the night before or give us a, a sheet every Monday to tell us or, you know, my chefs are not going to have the time to maybe manage the way Kristen's used to managing. And so for us to have that back and forth, we're able to teach each other and we're able to really mold the relationship the way it works. And, and relationship sounds like that's the key buzzword, right, for, for everything to work. And you have to be able to adapt. So, so what are some of the things 
I guess, maybe products that you've offered that you, you may not have offered because of the pandemic? Did, is there any new products that you... So like pandemic specific, um, when restaurants and shops started closing down, there are few people that I trust in the industry. When Doug said, we're closing fire and we're not going to reopen and we're going to do other concepts, like he's someone I trust. It happened with another restaurant of we're no longer doing this in person. We're going to be we're going to be pivoting. Um, that that particular restaurant paid half of the mortgage on our farm for the year. So to learn that in March, that you don't have those orders, that you're not going to have that mortgage payment come December, we had to figure something out pretty quick. So that year, um, we started raising Thanksgiving turkeys again. You know, we knew that people weren't still out shopping, um, and people think that that's an instant like, oh, well, you just raised turkeys. Well, no, like you have to order those turkeys. We get them in July, hope they live until it's, you know, and you get your butcher date and then be able to happily deliver them fresh for you at Thanksgiving. It's not just a like, oh, hey, we need 400 Thanksgiving turkeys. And it happens, you know, like we have so much pre-plan that we have to do as a farmer. Um, but turkeys were one of them. We did them again. We will honestly continue to do them no matter how much shenanigans go along with raising turkeys. Um, but that's part of, you know, also of us sharing our farm. Like you can follow along in July when we get our turkeys and I show you, here's a day old turkey, you know, and you follow it along until it's, you know, ready to be on your plate. Um, that's, that's how we brand ourselves and that's how we set ourselves apart. Like you need to see that. Like people ask like, well, don't you feel bad? Like, well, no, this turkey wouldn't live unless I ordered it. You know, like they wouldn't have just be, there's not just a wild flock of turkeys out as you drive down the highway. It doesn't happen. You know, like these animals have an intended purpose and it's our day to honor them every day. And it's our goal on our farm that they have one bad day, right? We treat you good all day long. We feel like you only get out what you put in. So we put in a bunch of love and care so that that comes back to you on your dinner table. You know, like that's why people will ask like, why do your pork chops taste different? Why does your chicken taste different than what's at the grocery store? Like it's love and it's sunshine and it's the part we, you know, it's what we've put in. You know, that translates, you know, when you're cooking that at home. Now, now Douglas, you mentioned um, the ghost kitchens and, and some of the things that you've, processes you've developed because of the pandemic. I mean, how's supply chain issues forced you to maybe change what you put on your menu? Or, or do you have, I mean, has there been times where you've had to adapt from a period to the next period because of that? One thing I would tell you, and I think it's, uh, it's partly pandemic, but it's partly uh, the diet that we're noticing. And even, you know, at, when, we ha when I had fire, there are so many uh, more vegans and vegetarians and people who eat gluten-free and people who eat specialized diets, dairy-free. The, the concepts that we've created uh, that are Middle Eastern and that are uh, Indian inspired and that are South American really rely more on these uh, different foods. And I think that by doing that, we are not serving what is most popular and what's most available typically. We're serving foods that where you can find the chickpeas, you can find the lentils, you can find the, the oils, the things that, that the, the grains. So, I think we're choosing foods now that actually work well in the pandemic mode. As long as they're here in America or in our area, you know, we are able to rely on the quantities that are available. And we're not pulling as much meat or as much fish or um, dairy that we used to rely on that all the other restaurants are. So uh, I'm hoping that uh, things loosen up a little bit and we're able to, you know, see enough 
product, but, but it ha does help us doing what we are doing. Now, one, one thing we didn't touch upon around supply chain issues is people, right? And you like to talk about the great resignation. There's a lot of workers that have left the work environment and they haven't returned. And everyone's questioning, where are they? I gotta imagine, Douglas, that's gotta be a big impact for you. Um, you see it all the time where dining rooms are closed or hours are cut because there's not staffing or there, or still with COVID, sometimes there's a, like someone gets it and it just spreads within in that business and you have to, you have to shut down because of that. Um, you know, like what, what impacts have you ha have or continue to have um, with employees? Before the pandemic, we were a community that had more and more restaurants each year. And every year you would see 30 new restaurants opening. It wasn't sustainable for our community before the pandemic. Uh, the chefs that were opening these restaurants were line cooks at our restaurants prior to that, or even dishwashers prior to that. Our, in order to do that, you were sort of uh, maybe dumbing down in a way what it took to open a restaurant. And so the quality of, uh, of chef or server or employee that you could find was getting diminished and you, weren't, you didn't have the training time. You, you weren't able to put that time in to really get these people where they needed to be. So that's what we were starting with at the beginning of the pandemic. And now we're in a position that's much worse. Uh, we you know, not only are we paying more for less skill, but we're not able to find people even at that higher rate. And so again, for us, the concepts that we've created fit much uh, better in this type of environment. Fire was a much more skilled experience where the chefs had to know how to cook the meat uh, to this temperature, or how to saute properly. The dishes we're doing now that are more shareable are much more simple dishes that you can put into the, the window, we say. Uh, and it's easier to train people. It's easier to take someone who's in high school, who's in you know, college, or you know, who's able to just pivot really quickly. And you can teach them what you need them to know quickly. And then they slowly learn that, those skills. And then you're just able to take more time and find people. So I think we are lucky that we created concepts that allows, allow us to train more quickly. And it's certainly an issue. We, We've had many experiences over the pandemic where we've had to shut down for a day because we don't have anyone to work. Or we've decided to close Sundays because we can't staff for seven days anymore. We can only staff for six. We're opening a new restaurant in about two months. I say two months, but it could be five months if we don't find the staff that we need. So it is an issue, but we hope that by creating the culture that we've created with the restaurants that we have now, we can continue growing that culture and continue uh, attracting new talent. Now you said experience when you're talking two or three times and, and I, it made me think about the dining experience and, and that's really what people want when they go out is an experience and it's not necessarily all about the food but it's it's the whole experience that you're there at that restaurant. Yeah. Maybe, maybe elaborate, how do you make it a successful experience um, for clients when they come in? Well, first, uh, you know, it's, it's about the idea behind that. We want everyone to have fun. We want people to, uh, you're going out because you want to have fun. You want to feel good. So we have great uh, drinks, whether they're alcoholic or non-alcoholic. We have a great menu to choose from. We have a great decor and great uh, music. And then it happens, you know, you hire the right people. You hire people who enjoy what they're doing, who want to be in the business, who are uh, hospitality forward. Uh, and then I think we can train, you know, the rest of that. But we're really creating an environment that we would want to dine in. 
And uh, that's what we start with. Uh, we're also teaching people uh, new, uh, fresh uh, things that they maybe haven't experienced before, which I think add to that uh, fun in that environment. Kristen, I, I know you probably don't have as much from like supply chain issues with employees because it's mostly family, but experience. I, I know, I think you've talked about that a lot too, is, is it's more about the experience and, and when customers come to you, yeah. it's how do you create that experience? You know, and we've, we've been asked before, well, wouldn't it be just easier if you hired someone to go to market or so that you could add another delivery at location? Yeah, but it's a trust issue. Like they don't know our story. They don't know that you know, we were late because Ellen's car broke down. Like people are good with you being honest. And like, I, I don't trust someone else to tell our story or that is not living it every day. Like it is an experience to buy directly from a farmer. Like I will tell you anything you want to know. Um, I, I don't have the trust, but when I see like Doug, like I know it takes a special person to work in Doug's restaurant. He's not just going to hire anyone because it is the experience. You need to have, you know, you need to be that friendly person. When Yellow House is on the menu, you need the servers who can say, if you don't follow them, you need to follow them on social media. They're just a family farm, but we are proud to serve whatever. Like that's the experience you're getting from your high level, high end restaurants that needs to come back after the pandemic. But I think that's where it's tricky of finding those people to hire that do believe in the whole system. We forget that we're storytellers, really, that people want to come in and hear your story. And I think, you know, as Kristen says, no one really can tell your story except for you. And other people have to hear it at least seven times or 500 times in order to be able to even just tell it. And then to say it with the same passion is totally different. So uh, that's what people love about their experience. And they want to tell their friends that they went to Kristen's farm and had, and I, I'm one of those people, and I, I tell people all the time how fun it was going into right, the cheesecake. I, I think that's what sets us apart too, is that we are farmers, that we try to have people out to the farm three or four times a year. We do an open house. Like I don't want people to live in fear of how their food is produced. Like I want you to come and see the sheep in the barn when it's cold. Like, are they grass fed? No, it's December. Like they're inside, we're feeding them corn, they're warm and happy. Like it's now July, the chickens are outside, it's sunshine, it's awesome. But like if we're not willing to connect people to their food and allow them to come out to our farm and see it, like how am I, how do I expect them to understand what we're doing? You know, like we have to share those stories and share the experiences and give them some ownership of like, no, I really went to the farm and saw it. Like I really saw that they had 500 chickens out at one time. Like it's not that, I'm just raising 30 and buying the rest from somewhere else and having these same 30 chickens here. You know, like we're authentically doing what we're telling you, you know, what we're doing. And that's what makes Yellow House who we are. I want to say, too, that I think we often say you're, you know, we judge people if they buy all local food or if they're on their phone all day or if they use in social media or if they don't. And I think I wanted to say, too, that you may not always have time to go to Kristen's, but to me, that's one of the best things about social media is that I can still connect with Kristen. I can, I can hear the story in a way that I never was able to before. And so I love Instagram for that. I love LinkedIn. I love you know Facebook. I love connecting with my customers that way. And it's such a, a positive experience for me and my business. And I think for Kristen, and I love seeing every day what Kristen's posting on her story. Uh, and I love sharing that with people to, as to what we're doing too, so. I know the pandemic has, has forced us to be innovative um, in, in your businesses. 
But are there any trends or, or practices you see on, on in the future that are really just? I mean, I would have never told you that people are going to buy local food and groceries online. That I can, you know, set up a platform and make this easy and people respond to it. Like that would have just been crazy town to me, like five years ago. But I think we're going to stay in that niche. I think we're going to continue to be on our phones ordering our food because it's easy and it's about convenience and you can still support local and let it be easy. Like it can, it can be simple. Um, I'm really hoping that that trend continues and I'm hoping people continue to value what's local. We live in Ohio where we can pretty much grow anything and we are not shipping, you know, we don't have to ship very far in Ohio. We can pretty much grow everything here and we're very fortunate. And I think when you live here, you don't realize it, but, you know, everything here is local and it can be, and you have such great access to great food. I just need people to continue to value that. And not just because it's the right thing to do for their community, but take that more as your like whole person health. Like buy foods that are nutrient dense, that are local, that haven't traveled, that are fresh. You know, like that has a whole health benefit more so than just supporting your local community members. So I'm really hoping that trend, you know, whether that's coming from the medical field or farmers themselves, like you're investing, you know, every time you sit down to eat, you're investing, you know, money, dollars, time, care into your own self. So local food is here and I need people to really just continue to buy into, like it has value and it's easy to shop here. You're definitely enthusiastic about your business, and it's nice to see that. I mean, food is so good. What's yeah. not to love about good food? Douglas, what, what about you? What, what trends do you see um, continuing or, or coming up in, in the restaurant industry? Well, at the most basic level, I think you can see that, you know, my inspiration from the Tandoor Oven at Fire, you know, really uh, drove my passion for uh, cuisines from around the world and the diverse uh, foods that we may not have experienced in our community. So I love the focus on, you know, Indian and on... South American and on Middle Eastern foods that, that we're focusing on. But I would also say too that I think technology has a huge place in our future. Uh, with the labor issues, you know, we will see people ordering more on their phones. We will see people uh, wanting a more uh, automated experience. But we hope to offer hospitality in that way as well and to still tell our stories. Um, I think food safety as well is a huge, and, and diet uh, and sort of health in general is a huge uh, uh, trend. And I think it's important for us to uh, let people know, you know, what foods, you know, what we're doing in that way to provide healthy food. And, and keeping our uh, business small also, I think, is important and allowing for those connections. I think the last two years we've missed seeing people. We, they, people want to go out to a place that they feel is sort of a home away from home or a place that they feel comfortable. They want to feel nurtured by healthy food or uh, new experiences. And so we can't minimize. I think we've had maybe a lot of uh, big businesses you know, in our lives. And I think people want to get back to maybe that small town feel where you know the people that you're going to, you know, you're going to say hello to the people that you've missed and you're going to see the employees that you want to see each week. So even though we're growing, I think we want that you know, sort of familiarity and, and warmth. That's great. And you said passion, and your passion is definitely evident when you talk about your industry and your restaurants, which is, which is great. So what, what advice would you give a re, like a restaurant owner uh, on, on how to be successful um, going forward? To me, I think you really have to know what your passion is uh, and, 
And you also can't take on too much at one time. I think you have to uh, really, maybe you create a little list for yourself on what the, the most important things are or what is all of that confusion in your mind and what do you, you know, if you write that down and you sort of uh, take little steps to get to that achievement, I think that's the key. Um, so first you have to be passionate about it, but I also think you have to uh, share your passion with others and, and uh, connect with others in your community to really learn you know, they're going to ask you questions about it that you've never thought of. They're going to, uh, you know, sort of test you on what your concept is or, or what you want to do. And the only way you do that is by sharing. And I think I often hear people say, oh, this is top secret and I can't tell someone this. To me, I share everything. The minute I come up with an idea, I'm, yell I'm yelling it to a million people because I want to hear what they have to say about it. And if 20 people tell me that's the dumbest thing they ever heard, I probably won't do it. But if 20 people say, oh, wow, I'm going to come or I'm going to do this. Yeah. So I like to share and I like to have other people on my team. And whenever I come up with a new concept, I'm sharing it with the people on my team and seeing if they think I'm crazy or not. Uh, and it just makes it easier. to. It, it's, a hard, it's a hard career. Yeah. So I think the more you research it before you get in there. I also would say patience. You've got to be patient and you've got to uh, take it one step at a time. A lot of times you want to rush it and you want to just get open and you're so excited about it, but then you forget to you know, think about all the things that really need to be thought of before you start welcoming customers in your door. Kristen, what about you? What would you give somebody advice uh, in the <coughs> agribusiness? If you want to be a farmer, you have to be in it for the worst days. I, I think that if you're really preparing to be in this, that's what it is. Uh, one of my kids' teachers, when they were in elementary school, saw me somewhere and they're like, well, what is it that you do? Because the girls said that you just stay at home, that you don't have a job. And I was like, well, I'm a farmer and I'm a cheesemaker. And so now I'm looking at my kid like, well, what do you mean I don't have a job? And they're like, well, mom, you don't have a job. You have a lifestyle. I was like, that's true. Like being a farmer is a lifestyle. It's not a job. I don't check in from a nine to five and leave. Like if you are not in it for the worst days, and the hardest days, farming's not for you. You know, it, it's really difficult and you need to decide, like, I don't wanna discourage you from being a backyard gardener or being a homesteader, but those things are not businesses. If you're in it for farming to be a business, I joke and say I'm an indentured servant to myself, but I am, like, I am tethered to the farm. I don't get to go on vacation. I don't get to go experience some things because there's stuff happening at the farm that's my responsibility and I'm the one that has to be there. So if you're not in it for the highs and the lows, farming's not your jam. It's really not. And it's not as easy to like, I grew some lettuce and I'm gonna sell it all to a chef. Like, that doesn't really happen. You know, it's the time you have to put in to build those relationships and prove yourself. You know, that's what it takes to be a true farmer. That's great advice. I want to thank you both for, for joining me today. This is a great topic, food, and really all the challenges that, that, and innovations that have gone on in, in the industry. But I always ask my guests one last question, and it's, it's your opportunity to tell everyone, our viewers, what's on your watch list. And it could be restaurant-related or, or agribusiness-related or not, but uh, just curious what's on your watch list. And Douglas, we'll go with you first. All right, uh, let's see. So. For me, I really, uh, we're in such a transitionary time in general the last two years that, and I think as a restaurant owner, you're prepared for sort of what's next. Um, 
To me, I think uh, I'm always looking at food trends and sort of what what's the next cultural food trend. You know, I, I'm launching these three great uh, fun uh, cultural experiences for my my guests, but I'm I'm looking at what's what's next in that way. Um, I can't tell you what that is, but um, I'm always looking for that. But but I would tell you too that uh, I think. You know, as far the technology really is is probably top of mind, and I feel like I'm torn between wanting the technology and wanting sort of the old style way that we're used to things. So on my watch list, it's more about how does my, our point of sale system change to incorporate that hospitality element? How do we find the technology to make it easier for our chefs in the kitchen to make it easier to train? Um, I'm also, my watch list really is finding the best people out there and creating a culture and a business where I attract the best people in our community to want to work in my restaurants because that's going to make me more successful and it's also going to make me happier in my day to day. And, and by doing that, you know, I, I know that I have to train people properly. So again, I'll go to that technology that I want to make sure people have all of the supports that they need to find what they're looking for in my business. So Kristen, tell us what's on your watch list. I'm really just in the spot that I'm waiting to see what this economy thing is. Like, I don't know what post-pandemic looks like. And as a farmer, because so much of my stuff has to be projected out, 2022, I'm just trying to keep it on an even keel. I don't need any high highs or crazy low lows. I just want to keep doing what I'm doing and be successful at it. Um, because until I really know what's long-term coming, I would love to grow our business, but I don't know that that's what's smart right now. So we're just kind of in a, like a, a hang tight and be awesome at what we're doing. No, that's a good point. Well, thank you again both for joining me today. This was a, a, a good topic, an important topic to talk about, and thank you for taking the time. Thanks. Thank you. Sharing Knowledge is brought to you by Westfield Bank, hosted by Kevin Vondro, Chief Lending Officer. From the imagination and creativity of Chris Van Osdale, Elise Love, Suzanne Favory, Corinne Wilson, Kartika M. Caffey, the marketing and communications strategist at Westfield Bank. Produced, edited, and mixed by Shark and Middle. Learn more at westfield-bank.com forward slash SKS. Sharing knowledge and shedding light on the financial industry to empower financial freedom. The Sharing Knowledge series of videos, podcast episodes, and articles are for informational purposes only and is not intended to serve as legal, tax, financial investment, accounting, or regulatory advice. Opinions expressed and third-party information shared herein do not reflect the opinions of Westfield Bank, Westfield Group, or any of its subsidiaries or affiliates. The information shared does not constitute nor is intended as an offer or solicitation for the purchase or sale of any product or service. Testimonials may not be representative of the experience of other customers and are not guarantees of future performance or success. Bank products and services provided by Westfield Bank, member FDIC, an equal opportunity lender.